You're listening to the Next Exec Podcast Series with Executive Women's Forum. In this episode of Wise Women, Ashley sat down for a chat with Ariel about her career path, experience, and transition to leadership. Ashley and Ariel discussed topics such as career influence, time management, leading a team, and the impacts of the pandemic. Welcome, Ariel. How are you? Thanks for joining the Next Effect podcast. Thanks, Ashley. I'm really excited to be here. And I know there's a lot going on in the world at the moment, and it's refreshing to be able to sit down and, and have a conversation like this with you. Yeah, I feel like socialization is something that has not been occurring as frequently, especially in person. But it is nice, of course, to see some faces once in a while through the usual Zoom meetings and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. So we are so excited to have you on our podcast today and hear all about you as a millennial leader. So to start, do you mind sharing your background and kind of your career path and what you do today? Yeah, I'd love to. And I won't go too far back into, you know, who I was growing up, but I wanted to provide a little bit of context (laughs) as I think it's helpful to understand me as a person and then now as a leader. So I grew up around technology and I, I like to start out by saying that because I think in some ways that is what propelled me into a technology environment that might not have ordinarily been something on my mind, especially 20 years ago, wasn't necessarily discussed for women. And that's why we're seeing not as many women yet in the technology workforce. But for me, it was a really big part of who I was and who I am because my parents were both very much involved in in technology. My father was an electrical engineer who ended up founding a satellite phone communications company, which in the 90s, you know, satellite phones were important much more than they are today because lack of prevalence, yeah. you know, not as much access to wireless and et cetera. So that was very, you know, forward looking at the time. And then my mom was a computer programmer. So I was around technology at a very young age, which meant that, of course, I kind of rebelled against it for a bit. When I joined undergraduate, I started in the business school and I thought I wanted to do anything but technology. I, I started initially majoring in business, but with a concentration in marketing because marketing seemed like the farthest away from what my parents did. And I thought I wanted to do something very different, but it turned out that what I was really good at was math and more logic oriented aspects of the business classes I was taking. So I pretty quickly realized that I was really well suited for a role in technology. So I ended up completing my business degree with a concentration in information systems. And I share that because I think it was really beneficial for me as growing up, you know, before I entered the workforce that it was around me more so than I would say some of my peers and and colleagues that are my age. Nowadays, you know, the the next generation of women entering the workforce don't have that same challenge well, that I didn't have, but that, you know, my peers had, which is that technology is prevalent everywhere and it's in everyone's homes. So I'm sharing this because I feel very more promising about more women entering the technology workforce, just the fact that it's more common in people's homes than it was, you know, back then. So a little bit of a a tangent of what you asked, but I think that's important just to know about me and, and why I got into 
ultimately in cybersecurity via technology. Yeah, and it sounds like you were able to just talk the talk and know the language at a very young age, which helped kind of excel, you know, your knowledge base going into the technology world. You know, it's a really good point, and I've never thought about it that way because I I did always feel that because I wasn't a computer science major when I began. So I, I started out in initially for a very short period of time in a data analytics role within a consulting company that I first started at, but then quickly moved into cybersecurity consulting. And I always considered myself at a little bit of a disadvantage initially because I didn't have the computer science background as some of my colleagues, but you're exactly right. Because I grew up around it, I was able to better talk the talk. I love those words. And it really fits in with a motto of mine in general, which is fake it till you make it. (laughs) So I say that all the time, (laughs) but I wanted to actually add to fake it till you make it. So I recently am reading a book called Good Leaders Ask Great Questions by John Maxwell. And there was a section in there that made me pause on my current motto, which, as I said, is fake it till you make it. And what I want to modify that now to be is fake it until you make it, but know when to say you don't know the answer. And this chapter I was reading was all about the fact that as a good leader, you have to recognize when you're not the smartest person in the room and you need to ask a question to inform you. So why that relates to my journey is that I've been in many situations where I'm not an expert on a topic, particularly as I've moved into leadership roles and I still stand by fake it till you make it. But I think it's really important to remember that there's a point where faking it is the wrong thing to do. And it's actually better to acknowledge that you don't know the answer and need to rely on the experts on your team or on another team or a colleague. So I think that's really important as many people move into roles that they haven't necessarily been on that team before they were leading the role. And that is entirely what my journey has been, my career journey. So finally getting back to your original question, that's been exactly my experience. And then I started out in a couple of hands-on technical roles within cybersecurity, but then pretty quickly moved into my first manager role. And then fairly quickly after that started you know, managing managers and et cetera. And it's it's really important that I remember that advice from that book, which is not to forget that you don't have to always know the, the answers to the questions. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I know that, you know, it's like in a lot of roles or colleagues that you met, especially for me in consulting world, you know, they always say, you know, if you have any questions, ask the questions, but a lot of people, and I think even women or women and millennials may be hesitant to ask the question because they want to appear as though they know it. They know the answer because we don't want to be, you know, looked at as not smart enough or not worthy of being in that room. And I would recommend for anyone that feels that way, that this book, the same book that I just recommended is an excellent resource for that. There's a section at the beginning where he goes through some pretty ridiculous questions that people have asked. And he basically says, your questions aren't ridiculous. 
these are the ridiculous questions that can be asked. Your <laughs> questions are not ridiculous. And I laugh at each of these ridiculous questions. And I think it's to the, you know, the whole thing about how there's, there's no stupid question. And maybe there's a couple, which she gives a couple of them, but for the most part, you're not going to ask the stupid question. And I appreciate questions always, because I see it as a sign of interaction between colleagues or team members. And I think that asking a question just opens up a discussion or a, you know, a meeting or, or whatever the forum is to be more of a discussion rather than being talked at, which is ultimately really the objective overall is people mm -hmm. want to be conversational. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think that this book is definitely one I will add to my list of to-dos and I look forward to reading it. So thank you for that suggestion. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good one. So let's discuss your transition to leadership, like your actual transition to leadership. What were you thinking about? I know it sounds like it happened pretty rapidly in your career, which is great. But, you know, what challenges did you see as you were making this transition? And what kind of tips or advice might you have for those that are kind of starting to get their feet a little wet and are getting close to making that transition over? The biggest challenge was the actual transition. So in my circumstance, I was peers to the team members who then I was the next day managing. And so the shift from being the colleague to the manager was the hardest hump to get over. And specifically, because in this circumstance, they all happen to be older men. So, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So first... And by the way, some of which weren't even in the U.S., they were dispersed geographically across the globe. So that's adding a whole other challenge, which today maybe we're learning to interact with each other virtually better because we're forced to because of COVID. But seven, eight years ago, not as much, right? So back then it wasn't. And so that was a whole other element. So the initial hump to get over to transition through it from going to be a peer that was a woman significantly younger. And then the next day was their direct manager. That was the hardest part. And then once we worked through the discomfort that was probably more proportionally on my side than on theirs, I probably felt more uncomfortable than they did. <laughs> After that initial hump that we got through, it was pretty smooth. So I think the takeaway that I have from that is that it's okay to have the discomfort and to lean into that and to also be open about it. I mean, I'm not suggesting to call out to your new team members that you acknowledge that you're significantly younger because nobody wants to necessarily talk about age, but I think it's more about just gaining the respect by acknowledging to them the situation and saying, we used to be peers and now we've moved into a different type of relationship. And I'm assuming in most cases, you know, those team members are going to know the history and, and same with my case, you know, they knew that I had never managed people before. And so I just leaned into that in terms of being open and honest about that situation. And in general, I am someone that craves feedback, both constructive, negative, positive, any type of feedback. So I was pretty open and honest with them and said, you know, as I figure out what this new role for me looks like. I would love for you to be transparent with providing me feedback on how I'm doing and how I can help you be successful. That's great. Sounds as though, you know, your approach there worked pretty successfully. I mean, I feel like I'm making it 
kind of all rosy and <laughs> it probably wasn't all rosy <laughs> but I'm making it sound really good and I, I you know I'm probably doing a disservice by pretending that it was so rosy but I do really think that it was the initial awkwardness that was the hardest part to break through and that Mm-hmm. awkwardness was not one day. I don't, I can't remember. I can't quantify it right now, but it was probably like six months. It was a long period of mm-hmm. time to go from being a teammate to being the manager. And there were definitely mm-hmm. challenges. And I don't know that I would have done anything differently other than maybe recognizing that it was okay to have that discomfort and just lean into it um, and knowing that I was going to come out on the other side, having learned so much from the process. I feel like as you're, you know, explaining this, I'm just thinking of the Instagram versus reality. Yes. You know, what you actually went through versus what it appeared to be, especially with those that reported to you. So it's interesting to kind of envision, you know, the process itself. Yeah, and I'll just do a quick plug for a topic that we talked about at the last EWF Rising Leaders Forum conference, which was about how to build a personal board of advisors. And sometimes we think about creating these advisors or mentors later on in career, but the value here was actually that I did have a really solid mentor at the time that helped me through some of that uncertainty. So I think having someone who is independent from the situation to lean on, because to some extent, not that you want to hide to your new team members how you're feeling through it, but there's some amount of, again, fake it till you make it, right? You want to fake it a bit in front of them and you do want to be vulnerable to them, but you don't necessarily want to show them all of it. And so having that, that advisor or that mentor that you can call on to talk about those things, particularly I recommend outside of your organization, is really helpful navigating through the discomfort around that transition. I can totally understand that because I actually not, you know, another plug to our EWF team here, the Rising Leaders Forum, having the ability to have a mentor that is a cyber leader, you know, woman, is a great opportunity. And it's actually one that helped me make a change in my career because I had that outside perspective. So I think in any role, I think it's great to have somebody with an outside perspective really help guide you through, you know, any type of uncertain waters as you kind of, you know, climb the ladder. Absolutely. I always have to ask this question because I'm always so interested to hear, but What's your advice on time management? What do you do that you can share with us? Well, back to what you previously said about Instagram reality versus what we pretend. (laughs) I would love to pretend that I'm excellent at time management, but I'm not. So I'll share some of my tips, but I I don't want to pretend like I have this all sorted out because I (laughs) struggle on a constant basis with this very subject. First, I want to share something that I didn't know existed until very recently that someone introduced to me, which is for anyone that uses Microsoft tools, there is a capability within Microsoft for a dashboard. It's called My Analytic that gives you insights into your work habits. And it will give you some metrics and data points, such as what percent of your time are you spending by yourself? So it'll analyze the meetings on your calendar. If you you block off time, that you're using for quiet time for your own purposes. 
it'll count that towards, you know, your own time. It determines based on the people that are invited on the invite, or if you just have, you know, blocks of time in your calendar that are open. It uses all of that to come out with a, what, a percentage. And that's really insightful because I did this recently, having just been introduced to this tool, and mine said 1%, which is horrible, because that means <laughs> that within my, and you set your own working hours, but within my like normal working hours, I'm only giving myself 1% of my time to do anything on my own, think strategically, answer emails in peace, strategize, so many things that apparently I'm either doing while I'm in a meeting or I'm doing, you know, before and after my quote unquote day starts and ends. So I am going to continue to use this feature to en ensure that I give myself enough me time in the day, not me time in the morning before the day starts, not me time, you know, at six o'clock or nine o'clock after my son goes to sleep, but time during the day that I'm going to dedicate to myself to focus on strategy, to focus on professional development, to focus on just being able to not multitask and actually think through yeah. my responses to emails. There's a whole bunch of other interesting things that this My Analytics tool does also, like tells you how quickly you respond to emails. I can't remember my particular metric, but it basically said that I respond to emails very quickly. And that probably means I'm reading my emails at the same time I'm in my meetings. And should I do that a different way. So I wanted to share this as a tip because I had never heard of it. Maybe others are more familiar with it, but if you're not, go check it out. I think it's a really useful tool. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And then just other things that I do are more tactical, but I, I maintain a, a weekly to-do list and I prioritize them so that I have a top section of the must-do things. So here are the things that have to be done this week. Maybe there's a deadline or for whatever reason, they're the half, half to do's. And then the nice to do's are then prioritized after that. And then I carry over the things that are not completed that week to the next week. And I think it's fairly useful way to separate the important from the urgent and being able to focus on really the most important things. Whereas sometimes I know it can be easy to tackle the low hanging fruit because it seems like it's the easiest way just to get things off your to-do list. I know I'm someone that likes to literally check off things on my to-do list because it makes me feel accomplished. And sometimes- Did you hand write it? <laughs> I, you know, I don't, I, I'm not, I, I, I use OneNote. I use the little checkbox feature in OneNote yep, yep. and I will check it off. <laughs> but I, I love doing that so much that I have to admit that I will sometimes put something into my to-do list that I've already done simply to check it off because I want to <laughs> check it off. It's kind of like the person who's addicted to their like Fitbit and they forgot their Fitbit. So then they ask, you know, their friend to run around with their Fitbit so they can get their, their steps that they, it kind of reminds me of that. It's the work version of that. Anyway, the reason I just brought this up is sometimes it can be really easy to go onto your to-do list and to do the things that are going to take less time because you can just, you know, take care of this 10 minute thing and that 10 minute thing. And sometimes that seems like a logical way to do it, right? I can just get a bunch of the easy stuff done. But if you add all those things up, you know, that could have been the hour that you needed to spend on that thing at the top of your list. That was actually the most important. So that's why I try to prioritize it that way. And, and even if I only have 10 minutes 
in between meetings. Maybe I'll spend 10 minutes starting that thing at the top of my list. It doesn't have to be done, but I always start it. So that's how I prioritize. That's great. I attended a Dale Carnegie time management course years ago, and it was so interesting to see, you know, how they share time management and all the tips that I wish I could remember today. But, you know, some of them were kind of like make your list high priority, but also make sure that you bundle the things that are similar together so that when you're in that mindset, it can stay with that thought process and it allows you to kind of tackle things a bit more intuitive, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, it's because we multitask, we jump from meeting to meeting where every meeting is different and you have to quickly shift to focus on the next topic. And that's a really great point. Wouldn't it be great if we could even bundle our meetings together so that we were focusing on the same (laughs) topic for a solid you know, four hours of the day before we move on to the next thing. I don't, I don't know if it'll work right. out like that, but that would be pretty cool if we were yeah. to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that would be. So COVID, just to touch on that lightly, how has it impacted you? And, uh, you know, from a career point of view or a work point of view, you know, what are some challenges as a leader that you may have experienced thus far? I've been really fortunate this year for a couple of reasons. So first, I last year had a baby, and he's now 18 months old. But when I first started at my current company, he was only five months old. And I was commuting to the city. My commute was about two hours each way. So I was spending a significant portion of my day, not every day, but the days I was going to the office commuting. And that was really challenging for me as a new mom. So in this case, I've really appreciated being work from home because it's meant that I've saved on time that I would have been commuting that I can actually spend with my son. And I'm also fortunate to have help at home so that I've been able to really focus on my job and I'm not distracted by also watching my son. So personally, I haven't been that impacted. And I know that's a very big privilege for me that others don't have. So I'll speak to more of the impacts to people on my team and how I've led through that. I have a number of people on my team that that don't have that privilege and they have their children at home with them and they are trying to balance working and also either watching their children for the younger ones or helping their children who are in school virtually trying to navigate through logging in and out of the various classrooms on Zoom. And what we've agreed on is just flexibility. So I have a team member who's adjusted his work schedule so that he and his wife can take shifts. And so there's periods of time in the work week that he is not working and everyone understands and everyone respects. And when we have the one-offs where, you know, we need him during a period of time that he would ordinarily be out, we just kind of work through those exceptions in advance. And it's not not cut and dry, right? It's that it's hard to navigate through calendars and coordinating meetings and whatnot. But we're just all very open and honest with each other about how we're doing at home. And when I've had team members struggle, we just talk about it and we accommodate what's needed. So I think it's honestly, it's like, it's refreshing that we can be more human (laughs) with each other. Because these are the types of challenges, right, that we wouldn't have really talked about as much before. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. some people that were either you know, already full-time work from home, we're probably struggling with this all the time. 
And it was probably hard for them to manage that because they probably felt that they couldn't talk about these challenges with their colleagues or their manager because it was kind of the, wasn't the norm, it was the exception. And they were granted like this accommodation to be able to do that. Whereas now everyone is going through it. And so it's nice that we can just be aware of the fact that everyone is going through something. Everyone's something is going to look a little different, but we can just acknowledge it. It is not perfect and it's challenging sometimes to figure out when to meet as a team for a time that works for everyone's individual schedules. So what happens is that also means that some members of the team might have to work or take a meeting, you know, in an odd hour or expect to, you know, get some emails from their colleagues who might be working an adjusted schedule in an off hour. And there's little things that we try to recommend. So for example, for those that are maybe not working as many hours during the day because they're watching their children and they might be working more at night, we try to recommend them using the delay delivery feature in their in their Outlook so that although they're working at night, you know, the recipient of the email is probably not. So if we can delay delivery till the next morning when the recipient is working, then it's kind of a win-win for both. So just things like that, where we're just trying to be more accommodating and understand that not everyone's necessarily working on the same schedule. Well, thank you. Thank you for your insight and, you know, your leadership through COVID and the changes that we're all facing. Very uh, insightful and appreciate you sharing your experience there with us. So thank you for this great conversation and sharing all about your experience as a millennial woman leader. But thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Ashley. It's been really great chatting with you. And I think I learned a few things about myself that I didn't even realize until we talked through it. So I I loved that we were able to have this conversation. Thank you. 